0: the cnbc app global market news in one place customizable sections and personalized alerts stocks tracking interactive charts and market insights all in your hands stay connected stay informed download the cnbc app today a very warm welcome everybody you're watching Box. let's get into your headlines this hour u.s stocks posting their worst week of the year after a key inflation measure comes in hotter than expected Cleveland Fed President Loretta Mester telling CNBC she is sticking with her December rate projection for now.
1: We're going to set policy to do what we have to do to get back to price stability. So we've been raising interest rates. We've seen some of that working through the economy. And we have seen some pressure off the inflation, but inflation remains too high and as, as you know coming out of the. The meeting last time and the minutes showed earlier this week that we're going to have to do a little more to get that back to price stability of
0: 2%. Warren Buffett defends stock buybacks in his annual letter to shareholders, calling critics of the practice economically illiterate as the investment giant posts a near $23 billion annual net loss. UK
2: Prime Minister Rishi Sunak pushing for a deal holding face-to-face talks with the European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen today as he tries to secure a new Brexit agreement for Northern Ireland. And don't call it a comeback. Commerzbank uh, ready to re-enter the DAX after being pushed out to make way for then-rising star Wirecard. Uh, we're going to speak exclusively with the Commerzbank uh, CEO, that's Manfred Knopf at 9.25 CET.
3: And we're back at Mobile World Congress in Barcelona with a clash between big tech and European telecoms firms over who pays their fair share set to dominate discussions.
0: So, very good morning. Uh, welcome back from Poland. How was it? Looked cold. <laughs> it was a bit, cold, yes. it was a bit yes, cold. It was a bit tasty, yeah. but
2: it's yeah. very interesting. Though. I've never been to a Democratic uh, Party convention event it before. Felt? So, uh, oh, it really
0: did. Right, so this is Biden laying out his, his stall for- effectively for yeah, elections next certainly year. Certainly
2: laying out his foreign policy stall, I, was, right. uh, I would suggest as well. I mean, that's what it felt like. It was mm. all the you know, the music, the, the 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 lights. They had smoke blowing across and then the light strobes across it as well. Mm. And at the end, it was... Well, yeah, there were children on stage with Biden. It all just felt a little bit like, you know, the only thing we didn't get was the, the red, white and blue balloons coming down at the end, you know. Right. But it, it very much felt like a, a party event. I don't know what it looked like to the viewers as well. I mean, don't get me wrong. It was a very strong message about, certainly while he is uh, leading United States as well, about the message to autocrats everywhere. Uh, about support for liberal democracy and, and it, you know, laying out the fact, which I think we all agree with, that the, the Russians got it badly wrong at the start of this war and they've had it, got it badly wrong since of what they think the Western democracies can do. So, mm. yes, it was a very big message for the West and its leadership and support of Ukraine, but it also felt like a, a bit of a, a step towards an announcement about a second term.
0: Yeah, have you seen um, Donald Trump continually tweeting now about the air raid, uh, air raid sirens. Right. This this seems to have really got stuck in his craw. Right. And um, obviously he's looking forward to the 2024 elections as well. Well,
2: will he make it to the, uh,
0: Sorry, I don't know. Is he well, going to be sure. the
2: Republican candidate? We, I think will have to there's wait There's a lot of people, including some old lieutenants of his, yeah. who actually feel that maybe it's time to look beyond... Um, Mr. Trump's era as the figure of dominance in the Republican Party.
0: Yeah. Well, he, he seems to be struggling to get past the air raid sirens. And, and it, was a, it was an extraordinary moment, I have to say that, yeah. on Biden's tour last week. But markets, eh? Yeah. Markets.
2: Heard a funky, eh?
0: Fading. <laughs> To the end of the week. Yeah, and, and I better go and do some markets You better is
2: go. That's what you're trying up. to tell me to do. I won't <laughs> spend too much time on this because we've got Roger Lee waiting in the wings as well, and he'll be able to be far more erudite than I am on this. But it, it's very simple. The markets suddenly realised that actually uh, inflation is stickier than expected, that some of the data is far more robust than expected. Uh, And guess what? Interest rates, yes, here's the big reveal. Interest rates could be higher for longer. and, And again, here's one for all our economist friends out there. Inflation wasn't transitory. Yeah, I know, exactly. It's not just transitory. It's lasted a long while because some of you out there still trying to tell us it's transitory. How long does transitory have to last before it's permanent? back up about three or four years, according to some of you. Anyway, so the markets fell on Friday uh, pretty aggressively again. Not as aggressively as they were down at one point as well, but with the Nasdaq down 1.7% as well. For the week, and this is what you need to know as well, we've seen four out of four weeks in a row with the Dow down. We lost 3% last week. It is the worst week since September 2022. The S&P was down five out of six of the last sessions, down 2.7% for the week. And for the week, the Nasdaq was down 3.3%. And again, I know there was leadership to the downside from consumer discretionary for the week as well, down 4.4%. But actually, this was a broad brush sell off, as shown by the transports, which were also down exactly the same as the NASDAQ for the week, down 3.3%. We move on to Treasuries. Uh, treasuries, again, the, the 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 big rally we've seen in fixed income products uh, in the first few weeks of the year that just just that's disappeared now as well. You've got concern about junk as well, which is widening uh, over treasuries. You've also got the 10-year yield. Look at that big rally at 1.3% for the week for the uh, dollar index. I'll come to that in the moment, but look at this 10-year yields now nearly circa. 4% as uh, um, and the yield there and the yield on the two year 4.8% as well and I keep getting told oh there's it's a safe place to put your money in the shorter end of the curve but if the yields keep picking up and the underlying keeps going down not quite as safe as I'm told. Anyway dollar index I mentioned this one up 1.3% for the week it gained 0.6 of a percent on Friday so hence the pound which at well, one point was 124 wasn't it now 119.38 as well euro dollar which was got up to what 108 109 now 105 uh, the Yen, which had rallied to 129, now back to 136 as well. I mean, who knows what Ueda son's going to be doing uh, over at the BOJ when that confirmation process ends? Uh, and the dollar also gaining against the yuan, 6.96 there. Um, oil prices, well. <laughs> The Russians, the big reveal. The Russians are going to try and halt production, or not halt production, but lower production, of course, as we've heard for a while now, uh, to to prop up prices. Uh, Not quite working out like that, is it? 82.66, down 0.6% on Brent as well. WTI uh, 75.92. And I can tell you, a lot of the product out there continues to decline in cost as well, compared with. Uh, where many of the experts in the industry thought it was going to be. Do you remember they were saying the spot is wrong, the product demand, the refined product, we can't get hold of it. Well, I just filled up with heating oil again, and it was the cheapest price I've paid since the start of the crisis. It's just an anecdote, but it certainly fits in with the wider um, feeling that actually there isn't the same energy squeeze that many of us thought there would be, and many people told us there would be, when the Chinese reopen, So let's have a look at the Chinese reopening. where we are on some of these markets as well. Uh, Shanghai Composite down three temps, Hang Seng down seven temps, Nikkei down 0.1%, ASX 200, 1.1% easy. There is an awful lot of data due this week as well. Yeah. We've got durable goods today, Jeffrey. We've got advanced economic indicators. I'm going to try not to trip up on all these wires here uh, on Tuesday as well. Good morning, Roger. Nice to see you. I don't know if we've introduced him yet, but he's in the wire <laughs> shop. Uh, Wednesday, mortgage <laughs> applications, manufacturing data, ISM, PMIs, and productivity and unit labour costs on Thursday.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But just to reflect on Friday's uh, important number, the Fed's favoured Gauge of inflation showed prices rising more than expected in January. The personal consumption expenditures price index increased 0.6% on the month, 5.4% on the year, both higher than in December and both ahead of expectations, excluding food and energy prices. Uh, they were up 0.6% for the month and 4.7% from a year ago. Again, higher than the previous month and ahead of the forecasts. Personal income jumping more than expected, but not keeping up with consumer spending. Cleveland Fed President Loretta Mester telling CNBC the central bank still has more work to do to rein in prices.
1: We're gonna set policy to do what we have to do to get back to price stability. So we've been raising interest rates. We've seen some of that working through the economy. We have seen some pressure off the inflation, But inflation remains too high and as as you know coming out of the, the meeting last time and the minutes showed earlier this week that we're going to have to do a little more to get that back to price stability of 2%.
0: Loretta Mester, well according to CME data market pricing for a 50 basis point hike in March rose to about 33% in the wake of Friday's number but Mester said it was too soon to say whether a 50 basis point jump was warranted.
1: I don't prejudge. right? I go into the meetings and I'm going to look at the data and we're going to have a new set of forecasts and that's going to help guide where we need to get to. But that's a tactical decision that we make at the meeting. right? It's got to be based on where we're going, how much the economy is slowing in terms of getting demand back in line with supply.
0: Roger Lee joins us, head of UK Equity Strategy at Investec. Roger, I know you roam a little while wider than the UK, so, so let's just talk about this PCE number. Um, is the idea of a pivot this year, i.e. a cut in rates from the Federal Reserve, now as dead as the dodo? Good morning. Um, I think it's fanciful, completely fanciful. The, uh,
4: the data on Friday, um, and actually uh, coming off the back of pretty strong data for all of, Feb- all, all of uh, February to date, I mean really it was two elements of it that I think take that interest rate cut completely off the table. First of all, services inflation, as you mentioned, it was the highest level since 1984. I mean the service inflation we know is a problem in that it's linked to wage growth and the strong labour market, but it was the goods inflation. Now everyone's been expecting goods price inflation to fall, all of the shipping rates have fallen and uh, the uh, reopening, of China was expecting to drive uh, goods price inflation down. That was up on the month. Now that's the first time it's been up for three months. So inflation's a problem. It's certainly not going down anytime soon. It would appear, and therefore interest rates aren't going down
0: anytime well, soon. Well, this is this is the conundrum, isn't it? Because Steve was telling us about his heating oil, and clearly we, we've had a reset on prices, sort of back almost to pre-COVID levels. Um, freight rates are collapsing they've gone back to pre-COVID levels, gas prices back to you know, pre-COVID levels. We look at um, the, the wages, and even as wages are running a little hot, they're still not keeping up with inflation effectively. So we know that the consumer spending power is gradually being eroded here. Supply chains are reconnected. How quickly do you think um, we could anticipate inflation coming down Given that all of these things are adjusting very rapidly at this stage, what is keeping prices higher? Well, I mean, it's essentially coming back to the labor market that, that
4: that's what's driving inflation and services, certainly the services end of inflation. And you know, as we talk about every time you know we discuss this, you know in, uh, the labor market in the US is what's different this time of the labor market here to a certain extent. And whilst that very strong labor market uh, remains, then you get wage inflation and therefore you get service inflation. I mean the two are inextricably linked and so you, to see a significant fall in the services side of inflation you would have to see a s- significant dislocation in the labour market and that doesn't seem to be happening now whether that's the feds intention whether they want to see this uh, rise in employment where well, they would ideally like to do it but are they prepared to break the economy to get that service inflation down and i think that's the question that and the markets you are facing too. so far i had a great
2: debate about economics but what about the market as well because the, as far as i can see the valuations in the United States, and again, big disparity from what you've been, you've been talking about with us previously on the UK, don't give you any wiggle room. They don't give you any historic benefit of the doubt in terms of what you pay for the U.S. stocks at twenty odd times earnings forward for the S and P. Whereas, at least in Europe, if you do buy the market, and obviously you're going to fall. As well as the US markets if the US markets decline. At least you've got a bit of earning support and I don't see i don't see in the States. Am I wrong?
4: No I think you think you're absolutely right. I think that the, the concentration risk in the US is actually the complete reverse to the concentration risk in the UK. So the, 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 the top five stocks in the US are the most expensive stocks broadly speaking in the S&P and obviously the top five stocks in the UK or the, or the bottom quartile of stocks in the UK are the cheapest stocks in the UK. So we have this complete reversal as you say and it's that valuation pressure, that valuation pressure that could return in the U.S., that, that is is the issue.
2: So here's the problem that you have, and that if the U.S. does decline dramatically from here, and Mike, they've already come off dramatically anyway, we're in bear market territory on some of the major indices and states, Europe will fall as well. Um, there's no doubt about it. We can't offset Now, will we fall at a lesser rate? Yeah, but I can't eat relative valuation. It's still going to decline, isn't it? Or or is it? We actually Have we got support from valuations in the UK and in Europe, that's actually going to buffet us if we do get a storm coming across the Atlantic?
4: Well, I always use the example of last year. I mean, we saw a significant decline in the NASDAQ last year, and yet the FTSE was broadly speaking up. And in fact, the top 20 stocks within the FTSE were significantly up. And I think that's the key. So, you know, last year would suggest that uh, the FTSE can outperform uh, in a falling US equity environment.
0: Well, uh, put put, put some more flesh on the bones there. What is going to outperform? What should our audience own to weather a recession in the States? Well, it all comes down to valuation, again, as you... you, you
4: frequently refer to and the problem that the market's facing certainly on the back of that PCE data on Friday and, and uh, as Steve said I mean this idea that rates are going to be higher for longer has, has got to now really be an accepted view the idea that uh, US Treasury yields uh, certainly at the longer end of the curve are still going to have this uh, what we call this yield inversion when they're when there are lower yields than the short end of the curve that must start to reverse and that starts to put pressure on the higher multiple parts of the market, and that's principally the U.S. And in the U.K., again, you come back to wanting to own the lower multiple stocks. So, so we still think, we still stick with what, the, what, what did well last year is what's going to do well this year because the world hasn't changed that much. Roger, that's the, the point.
2: next, uh, you, on our prompt, it says Berkshire uh, or Berkshire, depending on what the story is. Because the story I actually think I know is about Berkshire Hathaway. But actually, the story on this side of the Atlantic is about Berkshire today, because that we understand is where we're going to see Ursula von der Leyen potentially with Rishi Sunak as well. How much do events in Berkshire rather than Berkshire matter for UK investors, i.e. the perception about where UK business stands? And the reason why I'm saying this, of course, is because we are thinking we're going to get a latest Brexit deal, which is going to make a smoother transition of goods and improve relations with the EU and the United States.
4: It well, we feels as if we've been here a few times before, though, don't we? So whether it's in Berkshire or whether it's elsewhere in the country. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I think the... Well, let's hope that, that they do get some deal and sort the protocol out and we can move forward, though. That may it be optimistic. I think, it, I think it has some ramifications. If it, if it goes badly wrong and we get another sort of significant fallout with the EU, then clearly that will have an implication on sterling. It does every single time we see yeah. this. Um, It will therefore have an implication on sort of UK domestic stocks because it's the typical trade that uh, plays out if there's a row with Europe, sterling goes down and some of the domestic stocks uh, going I suppose down. the good news for our viewers is it's yes.
2: Berkshire, so there's only a little bit of intonation issue with Berkshire or Berkshire rather yes. than Gloucestershire.
0: Yeah, that would be more, more difficult, <laughs> wouldn't it? Uh, Roger, we have to say goodbye to you, but thanks so much for coming in early. Good to see you this morning. Uh, Roger Lee, head of UK Equity Strategy at Investec. But, uh, but I think it's a fascinating question. Is there an opportunity for a reset of the relationship Across the board with the EU, could this be Brexit 2.0?
2: Some people don't. I know we're going to do this conversation later. But some absolute, I was going to say a bad word, some diehards, there you go, there's a softer word. Some diehards on the right wing of the British political establishment, or or certainly on the wing of (laughs) isolationism, do not want a better relationship with Europe. They've won. They've got Brexit. But they don't want tighter relations with a major trading partner. It is absolutely bonkers. They would prefer to go and find a small Pacific nation that we can have better trading nation relations with rather than the EU because they are so intrinsically against having close relations with the EU. It's nuts. Uh,
0: as you say, we're going to do this conversation later. <laughs> um, Berkshire Hathaway's operating profit fell during the fourth quarter as inflationary pressures weighed on the conglomerate's business down 7.9% on the year to $6.7 billion. For 2023, operating earnings jumped 12.2% to a record $30.8 billion. But the group fell to a net loss of more than $22 billion. As stock prices declined, Berkshire's cash hoard. Uh, swollen then to more than $128 billion by year end, up from almost $109 billion in the third quarter. In his annual letter to shareholders, Warren Buffett urged investors to focus on the big picture over the long term rather than higher inflation and other factors which dampened stock prices last year. Writing, I have yet to see a time when it made sense to make a long-term bet against America and I doubt very much that any reader of this letter will have a different experience in the future. For a wide range of commentary on this, including more on Berkshire's results, Buffett's letter in full and who he branded economically illiterate, check out CNBC.com.
2: Right, well, when I'm standing on a cold street in Eastern Europe as well, Uh, they thought, oh, where should we send Karen? Let's send her something warm and lovely at uh, this time of year that's beginning to kind of warm up a bit. So she's in Barcelona, I believe.
3: <laughs> I am indeed. It's actually not that warm. I, I hate to burst the bubble. It's actually quite chilly here today. But I am here at Mobile World Congress in Barcelona. We're going to be talking about how the industry intends to bank returns from 5G from here. have been speaking to the CEO of Nokia, Pekka Lundmark. We'll be right back with plenty of coverage for you.
0: Welcome back everybody. Twitter has laid off more than uh, 200 employees and other 200 employees representing now around 10% of its remaining workforce following mass layoffs last year. That according to a report from the New York Times which says that those affected include data scientists, project managers and engineers who work in areas including machine learning and site reliability. Twitter didn't respond to a request for comment from Reuters.
2: Telecom's equipment maker Nokia says it is targeting more business from enterprise customers and unveiled a new logo as part of its strategy update. The company says it no longer wants to be viewed as a consumer company and is expanding, uh, aiming to expand the share of sales that come from enterprise customers. Uh, Karen spoke to the CEO, Pekka Lundmark, at the Mobile World Congress in Barcelona and asked him how big he believes the company can become in the enterprise market.
5: We had... uh 2 billion uh, top-line sales to enterprises last year out of uh, just sort of uh, 25 billion uh, in total, so that's 8%. We want that to go to double-digit as quickly as possible, and then that's actually only a a floor. It's not the ceiling. So after 10% needs to come 15% and then 20%. That market is the growth market. The service providers, where, of course, you can grow through taking market share, But that market is not growing more than maybe 1% CAGR for the next few years. The enterprise market is a significant growth market. And especially the private wireless market uh, is growing 27% per year.
2: Well, Karen, the big reveal is that Pekka, who looks great in a suit, doing his best to look great in a T-shirt. I think he looks better in a shirt and, and jacket personally. But he's really trying hard to push that new logo.
3: It's very much a a tech look isn't it for Mobile World Congress, I think he's quite proud of that shirt but the whole point is around this brand refresh and you might be asking why. It's been about 10 years since Nokia phones was sold to Microsoft. This is a disruption that still hangs as a cloud over the industry, nobody wants to have the Nokia moment and if you think about what they've done since then, they've been building network infrastructure, mobile networks and enterprise, what we've seen is that service providers business has been slowing where the real growth is at enterprise and Nokia wants to go after that. It is talking about effectively 8% of sales it has currently, 2 billion of top line sales. It wants to double that number. That's where it sees the industry growth story. And don't forget we've been talking about use cases for 5G for a long time. This is exactly what they're talking about, selling private networks to those companies, to businesses that have extra needs. They're very much going after that business. So I sat down with Pecker, as you can see, and I asked him about where we are in that journey towards 5G.
5: The market has not peaked yet. We believe that the 5G market will, de- will behave differently from 4G market where, where it peaked and then it started to go down. We believe that we are going to see an extended peak for many years actually between now and then, then uh, 28, 29 when then gradually 6G will start coming, uh, coming up. One key reason for this is the additional volume that we will be getting from a private and industrial. 5G uh, installations because it is so clear that many, many industrial actors, uh, manufacturing companies, mines, container ports, uh, power utilities, they will not only rely on network capacity that they buy from carriers, they will also be investing in their own private networks, and this will be supporting the market in the coming few years.
3: When do we see that? Because the use cases have been well cited, that there's a greater opportunity with 5G versus 4G, but when will we truly see that business spending kick in that drives margins for your company, but also for the carriers, the operators?
5: I'm arguing that it is starting to be there right now. I mean, when you look at our volume development and our economic margin development the past couple of years, it is actually pretty uh, promising. And this is despite all the challenges we have faced, including inflation, lack of component availability, semiconductor availability on the market, then there was the war and, and now there's high prices of energy. Despite of all this, we have been able to actually accelerate our growth. We had Three percent growth in twenty one and six percent growth in twenty two and eleven percent growth in the fourth quarter of twenty two so this is actually accelerating at the moment.
3: are there any hard and fast numbers about the profitability under 5 g versus 4 g not just for your company but for the industry
5: it 's very difficult to compare 5 g market is a larger market than or will be a larger market than 4 g market ever worse, and of course scale gives uh, profitability but then ultimately it's all all up to the competitive situation which is actually changing in the world because even though we are not a political player but uh, it is a fact that in today's world the geopolitical development is actually supporting our business
3: Nokia CEO, they're arguing that they're starting to see benefits from 5G. The problem is that carriers, the operators themselves, have had a very difficult journey. COVID, of course, was one of the, the interesting moments when they had huge data requirements, huge usage. However, that was costly for them. They also lost out on roaming fees. And there is an argument now, and there's a European consultation taking place, that perhaps big tech should contribute their fair share when it comes to spending money on these investments. But I've also got Arjun joining me this morning. He's uh, been talking to a number of different players as well about profitability. Just share with us some of the conversations you've had so far. Yeah, I think it
0: links into what uh, Pekka was saying there about the conversation really has moved from 5G on smartphones to what 5G can underpin in terms of other uses. Enterprise is a big area but so are uh, Future Mobility Service, the likes of autonomous vehicles and also uh, flying taxis uh, which are uh, a topic here and perhaps we'll show you later but there's a massive flying taxi actually just behind us on the SK Telecom stand. There's uh, one of the biggest telecoms uh, Companies in South Korea. I had a chance to catch up with their chief development officer, ha Min Yong, to ask a little bit about why this company
6: is actually getting into the flying uh, taxi space and actually how that links to 5G. Let's just listen in to what he had to say. We have been providing the connectivity service uh, to the to the public for the last 30 years, at least. Then, you know, riding on this connectivity service and infrastructure, we believe that you know, telecommunication companies. Uh, should we be able to deliver this urban air mobility as well so that we believe this is a kind of you know expansion of our business, uh, business model from connectivity the mobile connectivity to mobility connectivity so that you know I don't think we have a uh, limitation in terms of expanding our you know, uh, service area from mobile to mobility. Do you suspect that this business could be a significant portion of SK Telecom's business in the future, or, or would it make up a small part? We hope so, but not immediately. So for the next at least five, seven years, we need to make sure that uh, the service that we are going to offer to you know uh, society and community is safe enough so that once it's accepted very well by the community and society, then we believe that uh, it will generate a you know, you know, significant amount of revenue and the size of the business.